Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello, I'm Megan Gray and you're listening to Change the Record podcast from Vocal Girls and Tomorrow magazine. This week I'm speaking to the amazing portraiture, music and fashion photographer Vicky Grout. Specialising in film photography, Vicky boasts portfolios across music, fashion, street and portraiture. Born in Poland but raised in London, Vicky grew up loving music and immersed herself in the scene that she now works in, starting out by just taking photos at the events that she was already attending. Now 24, she's shot for big names like the New York Times, Time Out, as well as brands like Levi's, Adidas and Reebok, and artists like Loyal Karner, Tom Mish and Georgia Smith. In this episode, we talk about early musical memories, the realities of being a photographer in 2020, and tips for breaking into the industry. It's been a weird time. It's been a tumultuous time. During when we were in sort of proper lockdown, um, you know, a lot of people were speaking about, like, mental health issues and, you know, really struggling during that time. And I think... With with myself, I think I was fortunate enough to be in a position where I was luckily eligible for, you know, uh, the freelancer HMRC yeah. grant. You know, I I had no work, um, so at least I still had something, and I wasn't have and I didn't yeah, have to dip into my savings or anything. Do you know what I mean? So, um, I think financially I was very stable, and I think because my job is usually so fast paced and so hectic, I think the the change of pace for me was a bit of a relief. Um, and you know, again, I was lucky enough to not have any sort of scares of like family getting ill or yeah. anything. You know, my family was all well um, and still are, which you know I'm very grateful for. So I think, I think for me, it's almost like that lockdown. The lockdown period was almost like the sort of like a needed break, a needed break. And I think I sort of regained my sanity during that bit a little bit. And then I think in the last sort of couple of months, where everything's sort of opened up again. And I've actually been working more now than I think I was pre-lockdown. Oh, really? Which is crazy. Um, and to be fair, within this past week or so, I've been I've been okay. But in the sort of period coming up to it, I was really starting to lose my mind a little bit just because there was so much going on. I didn't, I didn't think I had the time to do it all. Um, and also, weirdly, just like... Maybe just like a lack of confidence in myself as well. Yeah. Like I... I, I I try not to look at other people's work too much or try and compare myself to other people, but um but I think in the last sort of couple of weeks I'm I'm looking at other people and being like okay I really need to I need to fix up you know oh, I need to no. get better you know I think obviously which is so unnecessary because yeah. obviously you know everyone everyone's different everyone's doing their own thing but I think it's hard not to do that though yeah I think I think it's been the the period post lockdown that has affected my mental the most yeah um. And I actually, for the first time in my life, got a personal assistant. Shout out Maya, you're amazing. Um, just because I think for ages, people were saying to me, like, oh, like, you need a, you need yeah. an assistant, you're doing too much. And I'd always be like, no, like, I need to just do it myself. Yeah. Um, and I think in this period, I was like, I'm actually going crazy. Like, yeah. I actually don't have the physical time and energy to do everything myself. Um, so luckily, I do have someone that is able to sort of do some of the things that I don't have the time for, you know, I think, for me. I think that's really good. You get to a point where you are kind of, recognizing the need to mm-hmm. step back a little bit mm-hmm. and slow down like I think that's actually quite good self-care yeah thank you <laughs> and what do you think of like what's happening to the creative industry at the moment with all the kind of like messaging to retrain and stuff I think 
all like all of those campaigns that we're seeing are just so stupid. Obviously, when they're saying, you know, oh, like all these creatives need to need to retrain and do more, I don't know, more manual, more like cyber things, and it's just like, no. do you not listen to music or watch films or, or appreciate art or anything? You know, I think exactly. And I kind of thought we were past this whole thing of thinking that or or, or treating creative um, career choices as unimportant, and yeah. it's like. Do you know what kind of world we'd live in if we didn't have that? I know. It'd be depressing as hell. So I think A, I think it's I think it's just ignorant to think that people can only do those sorts of things. Yeah. And also, who says cyber anymore? What is this word? It's not two thousand and two. It's so like, true. I know, what? I think it's properly exposed their kind of the fact that they don't take creative industry seriously. Mm-hmm. And you're right, do you mm-hmm. know when you're at school? And you're always told, like, you need to take serious subjects. Mm-hmm. Like, what does mm-hmm. that even mean? Mm-hmm. Serious subjects. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just kind of like a snobbery around, like, academic. Oh, no, 100%. And, like, I remember when um I was uh, I was doing a foundation course at uni and I was doing graphic design. So before I went into doing photography professionally, but I was always sort of doing it on the side. But yeah. I kind of thought graphic design could be a slightly more sustainable career choice for me. Yeah. Um, but when I was studying that, I remember I was chatting to this guy... I think he was like studying like law or like psychology or something really difficult. <laughs> you know? And um and I and I explained to him that I was doing graphic design and he was like he was like oh my god that's so pointless like why would you ever do that like that's not even gonna be useful and I'm like you're uh, actually so full of shit. I bye. Even... Wait, can I swear? <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah. Okay 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 cool. <laughs> just to make sure. But um but I was like oh okay. So yeah it's I just don't understand even even if people are not creative themselves. Which, you know, a lot of people aren't, and that's fine. Yeah. But I just don't understand how you can ever think that those things aren't important. Yeah, definitely. Or don't feed into your life in one way or another, you know. Yeah, I think it always comes back to the way that, like, traditionally people see intelligence. And mm-hmm. it even goes back to, like, how people are examined at school. Like, mm-hmm. it's all based on academic mm-hmm. level. And it's yeah. like, people aren't, some people aren't intelligent in that way. And it doesn't mean that they're not really, really smart. Mm-hmm. It's just, mm-hmm. it's not like maths. Yeah. Oh so God, annoying. So <laughs> Me too. <laughs> to this day. <laughs> so, what song did you choose for this? So, for the yesterday section, I chose 1999 by Prince. This is one of the best songs of all time. Listen, this is one of the best songs of all time. It's so funny because my boyfriend always makes fun of me because I say this about every song. <laughs> I'm like, this is the best song of all time. He's like, you say this about everything. But no, no, no. This is <laughs> one of the best songs of all time by one of the greatest artists yep. to have ever graced this planet of all time. So my sister was a big Prince fan. Right. Um, most of my musical influences when I was younger, sort of growing up, were from my sister. Um, shout out, Magda. Um, but she used to listen to a lot of Prince, a lot of Janet Jackson. Like So, so growing up, I was particularly a big fan of, of Michael Janet and Prince. Um, and I remember we had this Prince CD and I'd always make my parents play it in the car and 1999 just made me feel out of this world do you know what I mean like the intro everything about it is amazing Um, and that was like my favourite song growing up for like many years how old were you when you discovered it do you reckon like three four oh my goodness so right from the start yeah like right from the start (laughs) I literally didn't even know, like, half of what Prince had done. Like, mm. I recently found out that he wrote that... Do you know that really sad Sinead O'Connor song that's, like, nothing compares, nothing compares to, to you? you. Yeah, I yeah, didn't yeah. know so, he wrote that. So he wrote it, and I think he has, like, a little pattern in the way that he writes things sometimes. So you know how it's, like, nothing compares 
number two, yeah. letter U. Yeah, then yeah. he's got his own song, I Would Die, number four, letter U. Oh, so it's kind of like his personal stamp yeah. on it. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's yeah. so cool. Mm. I love... Oh, no, 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 listen, Prince did so much. Like, even... And also, because he was Jehovah's Witness, like, he wouldn't sort of brag about or talk about any of, like, especially, like, like all the charitable things that he did until after he died, all these things came out that he was doing so much. Yeah, he was amazing. Like, so much. He was amazing. I love that when people use their, you know, their money and their power to do, mm-hmm. like, such amazing things because so many people do And they just don't talk about it. I know. I think so many people do it from the wrong place where they feel like they need to talk about everything that they do when you really don't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> have you always grown up with music being a big part of your life then? I have. Funnily enough, my parents didn't really listen to music in the house. Oh, really? Um, my dad never really listened to music too much. My mum would listen to music, but... I think she listened to music more sort of growing up. And then in our household, there wasn't really ever music playing. It was, if it was, it was me playing the music. Um, And again, it wasn't necessarily my sister playing the music. It was me going through her CDs. And I remember it was like this Prince, like best of album. And it was like just a, a collage of him in all these different outfits looking crazy. And I was like, what is this man? I love him. Like I need to listen to this. Um, and I was like, how can one person look like 10 different people? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this man is amazing. Um, so, yeah, and obviously, so I, I grew up in Poland. Um, I was born in Poland, and we, we were living in Warsaw. And um, my sister, is my half-sister, is full Polish, and she was a bit older when I was born. So when we moved here when I was four, my sister stayed. So I only lived with my sister for the first sort of four oh, wow, years of my really? life. Um, and then, then she stayed in Poland. So um, I kind of... For most of my life, I grew up as a as an only child, really. So it was mostly me, sort of, you know, discovering your own stuff, discovering my own stuff, playing CDs. Um, and I think when you're very, very young as well, I think one of the best ways that I would sort of find new music was like, you know, those <laughs> those really shit. Now, now, oh, yeah, now forty two. <laughs> now that's what I call. Yeah, <laughs> um, but obviously, when you're in primary school, when you're like six years old, it's the best. You know, pre social media pre-internet ish yeah. i mean there was internet but not in the way that we have internet now you know it was like AOL dial up yeah. <laughs> that was it you know um so that was sort of how i guess how i'd sort of find music later on you know and then i remember pre-youtube i remember when i was in primary school i'd spend like every lunch break in the library just like going on like movies and just like watching yeah. music videos <laughs> Oh wow! So you you kind of got addicted to it then? I did get addicted to it. I did. Um, and again, I don't really know what that sort of influence was. It's almost like I kind of just like kept stumbling upon yeah music throughout my life. You know, that's interesting though that you had that kind of like want and need to explore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think like that's what I had. Like my parents listened to a lot of music, but. I was really keen to kind of discover my own tastes as mm-hmm. well. And I think yeah. that's when you know you're a true music fan, yeah. when you're, like, digging out yourself. <laughs> yeah. Um. So we kind of touched on this already, but I wanted to ask, like, was it always your dream to be a photographer then? Like, yes and no. I knew that I always wanted to do something creative. Mm. Um, when I was very, very little, I wanted to be a dancer. Oh, really? Um, I actually did dance for, like, 16 years. Wow. And I did dance for ages. I did, I did all kinds of dance. I did, like, ballet, tap, jazz, hip-hop street no dance musical theater i did everything um which people don't really expect of me which is quite funny but i think alongside that i always loved art and sort of loved creative outlets and, yeah, yeah you know and i think um when i was about 11 or 12 i really wanted a camera 
I remember I got just like a little cheap like little bridge camera yeah. for my birthday um and I would just like go and take photos like in the park of like the trees and everything like at weird angles thinking I was really cool <laughs> and put them on my Bebo um shout out to um, Bebo shout out to Bebo <laughs> that was that was really a time <laughs> um and then I think that sort of progressed to then wanting to start shooting film I think I got no I actually I found my family's old holiday camera which was like a point and shoot film camera um and I would take that everywhere with me. I'd get my photos developed at Jessup's or Boots. Um, don't get your film developed there. Sorry, guys. But, um, <laughs> it's not the one. Um, yeah, I would just sort of take it everywhere with me. I started going to gigs and stuff. Um, I think I started going to gigs when I was, like, 13. Um, and then we'd always just, like, queue for hours to be at the front just so yeah. I could get photos. Because, obviously, I wasn't in the pit. I didn't have a press pass. I was a child, you know. So um, I would just always... And also, for anyone that doesn't know, I'm, like, five foot nothing. So I had to be at the front to see anything. <laughs> So, so yeah, and then I think that sort of gradually then just developed into um, when I started raving when I was like seventeen, I wasn't technically legally allowed to rave. But, um, <laughs> when I started, you know, properly going out, um, I didn't really take my camera with me at first. Yeah. But then I sort of started taking my camera with me, being like, it would be great to sort of not even to to document this. You know, I wasn't like I'm gonna be the one to document this. It was more like I just want something to keep for myself and something yeah. for me to to you know to look back on from that night or whatever so and I think naturally people started seeing my work from that and from you know the the grime raves and the different nights that I was going yeah. to um so I think naturally people just started paying attention to my work that way and what is it that you loved about film so much then I think it was just the fact that even with like a super cheap camera like the cheapest of cameras I could make something that just looked sick. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And, and for me, at that time, I was like, what, like 13? I was like, this is so cool. There's just something so exciting about not knowing what you've taken, but knowing that whatever it is, even if it doesn't come out properly, it will look sick. And how did you go from kind of shooting on your personal nights out to then, you know, being in a studio with big artists and stuff? Like, what, what happened there in between? So I think in the sort of period where I was just raving without a camera and I was just going out, I think I kind of was networking without realising it. Do you know yeah. what I mean? I was just, I was just a fan. I was just gassed. I was just there. And obviously, when, obviously, RIP to all these venues, but like, like venues like, um, you know, Birthdays, Alibi, Visions, you know, all these places that have been shut down since, um, you know, a lot of the sort of big, well, I say, I mean, they've definitely gotten bigger now, but sort of like, at the time, the sort of more underground UK artists used to, used to play a lot there. Yeah. Um, and so it was very easy to just bump into them. Like, if they've just done a set, you know, that could then try to chat to them afterwards, you know? Yeah. So I think because I was raving maybe like two, three times a week, um, I kind of just got to know everyone in that scene. Yeah. As a fan and as a member of that community, do you know what I mean? Of that little rave community. Yeah. Um, and so then when I started bringing my camera, I think people were more comfortable with me shooting them because they already knew me. Yeah. And a lot of them would be like, oh, I didn't know you're a photographer. And I'm like, I'm not, I just take pictures. Yeah. You know? But um, eventually that was like, okay, well, I need someone to shoot my next night for me or like I need some press shots, you know? And then that sort of went towards shooting more portrait stuff. Um, and then I think through Instagram as well, through posting my work on Instagram and on socials, People then reach out to me being like, oh, my friend's got this cloven brand or like, I've got this little skate brand. Yeah. Can you shoot our lookbook? And most of the time, you know, it would just be my film expenses covered, you know, but I was happy to do it. Um, and then that might sort of then go into, 
working for slightly bigger brands or working for magazines and stuff and but also just like reaching out you know if there's like an artist that isn't too big but that I think are sick that I think you know I could potentially reach yeah. out to you know I might DM them being like yo like I really want to shoot with you or likewise even just like people that I thought look cool yeah like unsigned models and stuff it'd be like yo let's shoot um and you know people are usually happy to do it um and so I think through doing all of that sort of free work off of my own back in the beginning yeah. obviously I was building a portfolio yeah you know, no one should have to work for free but you know I'm not I wasn't working for free I was reaching out to those people I was doing it myself do you know what I mean it wasn't people coming to me but I mean there was a lot of that as well but um I think that definitely led to the building of my portfolio and also sort of honing my own style as yeah. well because obviously I didn't necessarily have a style when I first started out and even even now I can't always tell what is my style and what isn't my style you know I just shoot but obviously from an external point of view people are able to say oh that looks like your shot or that doesn't look like your shot do you know what I mean yeah definitely um so I think definitely the the more you shoot and you could shoot something every day and just not post it but you could just be practicing yeah. you know I think the more that you shoot then the the more you're sort of honing your craft and and developing your own style in that way I love that. I love that it's really come like so organically from an actual proper love of yeah. the scene and being 100%. in that industry and then mm-hmm. it kind of being born so naturally of that. That's yeah. so cool. So I actually got a place to do a BA at Chelsea, your Chelsea um, in graphic design. But I think it was at that point when I started shooting even more and then I was like, okay. It's kind of like crunch point. Yeah, I need to decide whether or not I'm going to go to uni or just do this full time. And then like, I deferred for a year to see how the photography would go and it went great and then I just didn't end up going. Um, That's so interesting. So you could have been a graphic designer then? I could have been a graphic designer. I could. So for my today's section, I picked Car 85 by Nas. Um, This new album is amazing. I've listened to it on repeat. And I haven't listened to it yet, but this song is so good. It's this really song is listen. amazing. It's amazing. Um, also, the intro song is amazing. In fact, the whole thing is amazing. Um, but this is probably one of my favorite ones off the album. I think in terms of like the way that the the sound of it makes me feel, because it's quite a chilled song. Yeah. Um, it's quite sort of melodic. It's got some nice, some nice vocals by Charlie Wilson. And I think I've been listening to a lot of chill stuff at yeah. home, just generally. Is that yeah. I, I've I've found chill music has been my medicine throughout the whole of lockdown. Like, yeah, no, literally. I've not been able to listen to anything else really. Do you know what I feel like? I've kind of I've gone from like so I, I kind of go between listening to like really chill music and then listening to like jump up drum and bass <laughs> and jungle mixes because yeah. like sometimes I want to feel like I'm in the rave because yeah. I actually miss it so much. Like this is one of the things that is just like making me so depressed. Like I miss raving i miss music i don't want none of this sitting around a table can't get up and dance bullshit like i hear it obviously venues need to make music like at least djs are somehow making music from this you know it's it's better than nothing for them yeah but for me it's just really depressing i know because i need to get up and dance do you know i mean i've got adhd i've got excess energy i can't sit still do you know i mean i need to you know move or do something and um i just really just miss being in a sweaty club listening to jungle or drum and bass or any of it i miss all of it so i've been listening to like mixes yeah (laughs) especially when i have to do the dishes um if i put on like a really hype mix i just get it done even quicker which is (laughs) i Um, always listen to really upbeat music while i'm washing up (laughs) so it's been it's been sort of going between like that and then like 
the sort of more chilled stuff as yeah. well. I couldn't agree more with the whole venue thing. Like, mm-hmm. I know exactly why they're doing it, but it just feels like a tease. Like, especially when like they play music. It's the rave. And festivals. Yeah. Um, I feel like it's so important, though, for yeah. mental health, having mm. a release. Like, mm-hmm. I get some people don't like going out and, yeah. that, and that works for them. But, I mean, for me, and I guess by the sounds of it for you, mm. just being able to go out and just blow off some steam mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is so crucial. Like, it's otherwise so crucial. you just feel this, all this negative energy. Mm-hmm. Like, And also, this country is just the pits. Like, throw the whole thing in the bin. Like, this place is terrible. It's <laughs> like, obviously, for so many obvious reasons, but also just in terms of, like, its attitudes towards music and the arts and, mm-hmm. like, the club scene. Obviously, you get places in Europe, like Germany, like, especially Berlin, and they just get it. Do you know what I mean? Like, they actually protect and put money into I know. music venues and, you know, the so true. The music scene and the clubbing scene, whereas, like, here, it's almost seen as, like, a degenerate activity. <laughs> do you know yeah. what I mean? It's, it's like, like taboo, almost. Do you know what I mean? It's just, like, I know all you politicians are up in Mayfair clubs, like, <laughs> yeah. but you look down on people that go raving. It's just, it's ridiculous. I know. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't really know what's gonna happen about that. Obviously, so many venues are being closed and shut down, um, and it's just really upsetting to see. So I mean, yeah. mm, I don't really see myself living in this country for too much longer. Oh really? Yeah. I mean, the, the irony is as well, like it brings in so much money to mm-hmm. the country. I, mm-hmm. I, I saw like a fact it was like 150 billion or mm-hmm. something ridiculous. It's like how can you not even acknowledge it mm-hmm. when the figures are there? Yeah. Like how important it mm-hmm. is. Literally. What do you what do you reckon's your favourite thing about your job then? What is my favourite do you know what I don't think anyone's asked me this question, it's always like, What's your favourite picture you've ever taken? <laughs> like your favourite artist issue. What is my favourite thing about the job? I don't know, I think it's got it's got a lot of perks. I think I like connecting with people, you know, whether it's like an artist that I love or, you know, someone that does something really cool, whether it's like an activist or someone that just does really cool stuff that I admire. Um, but also I just like connecting with regular people and bringing out their character and their personality in a photo as yeah. well um but also what's quite nice about my job as well is that i feel like I, i'm at a stage now where i feel like even though i'm i don't by any means know everything <laughs> you know i'm not like a super expert you know i've learned everything that i know through trial and error and through just doing it really and just learning on the job but i feel like i'm at a place now where i can help other people trying to get into that industry and you know sort of help teach people that maybe wouldn't have learned this any other way, you know, because they're not teaching this stuff in school, you know. So um, I've been doing quite a few workshops, a few talks and stuff, but also, you know, I've always got um, either people that want to shadow me or, like, assistants and stuff, um, or just, like, people that I mentor and stuff, you know. I always try and... um, Anything that I've learned, you know, I always try and pass on to other people as well because i feel like it's such a difficult industry to break mm-hmm. into and mm-hmm. you're like clearly smashing it which is so <laughs> cool do you think you need to be a confident person socially to be a photographer i think it helps um and i think if you're not like that naturally i think it's important to try and work on those things you know yeah. it doesn't necessarily like you don't need to imply it into every single aspect of your life but at least when you're shooting yeah i think if you're not very confident or if you're nervous, it's going to make the subject nervous as well. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I think if you're confident and if you're able to exude that confidence and to 
sort of draw confidence out of that person as well, then that's even yeah. better, really. Um, Fake it till you make it, baby. <laughs> basically, basically. Um, and I feel like I'm, like, a mix of the two. I feel like I'm, like, a introverted extrovert or, like, an extroverted introvert, do you know what I mean? Because there's times where I'm so out there and I'm so, like, just up for chatting to yeah. everyone about everything. Or there's other times where I really just don't want to chat to anyone. I just want to be kept to myself. And maybe that's a part of ADHD as well. I think maybe just having those sort of, like, bursts of energy and then just, like, wanting to be a bit of a recluse as well. Because um, I feel like I sort of <laughs> drain myself very quickly Yeah, as well. I get exhausted. Um, but, you know, I think that sort of does help me with approaching subjects, you know, making people feel comfortable and, yeah, just sort of helping them feel at ease. I think that's the most important thing, yeah. really, because if, if you're not able to do that or if, you know, if the subject doesn't feel comfortable or if they're, you know, awkward or whatever, you know, you can really tell in the photo and I think it is it is very important to try and break down those barriers especially if it's your first time meeting that person or shooting them or whatever definitely i was gonna ask you actually what what are your like main techniques for like relaxing people when you're shooting them do you know i don't even necessarily have like specific steps that i go through but i'll always just try and be as chatty as possible even if i'm just chatting a load of shit i'm almost (laughs) embarrassing myself i feel like that's better than not saying anything and just like do you know what i mean yeah i feel like i'm I'm, like tmi all the time i'm all the time (laughs) too much information every day um and so i think you know, it is important to chat to them, ask them about their day, what they're doing later, da 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 da. You know, if you have an interest in what it is that they uh, what they do for a living, whatever, ask them about that. I think also if I'm in a studio or like inside somewhere, I'll always try and play music. Yeah. Um, and I'll usually ask the subject to pick what it was they want to listen to, because I think it's important for them to feel comfortable. And also, if I'm doing a shoot where I need them to sort of relax or like move around a little bit it's good for, for them to listen to music that will help them do that, you know? Yeah. Because if I put something on and they're not feeling it, they're just going to be stood there like... Yeah, I guess that makes them feel more you know I mean? like at home as well. <laughs> exactly. Like they're listening to what they would usually listen to. Exactly. So I do always try and, you know, have music playing somewhere. Um, and I think, I think just sort of being friendly is the most important thing, you know, just trying Definitely, to yeah. chat to them. And also... Um, while I'm shooting, I might chat to them while I'm shooting as well. Or like, because I, I shoot on film, but I will usually have like a little digital camera with me as well, which I use as a light meter. I mean, I could just use a regular handheld light meter, but sometimes I just like to see the picture as well. Um, and also it gives the client sort of peace of mind as Something well. Something to go off, yeah. Like to see what it will look like. And so, you know, during the shoot, sometimes if I'm just shooting film and the subject can't see anything, they can be like, okay, well, I don't know how I'm looking or how it's going, yeah. you know. So I'll sort of show them how the pictures are looking throughout, you know, yeah. and I'll be like, just imagine that, but it will just be on film, basically. I guess also that's good for you because it gives you a backup because obviously one of yeah. the scary things about film is like, oh mm-hmm. my God, it could all just disappear. <laughs> this is the thing. Um, you know, I've been quite lucky that that hasn't really happened. I've had a couple of occasions. I actually had something recently, which is probably one of the first times where I've had to go for like some of the digital backups because usually after this year i'll just delete them but usually i wait until i get the film yeah and then i'll, I'll clear the sd card but and on this occasion i kept them because um i basically i did a shoot on this film camera that i've used loads of times before but i've never used it in a studio with studio lighting when i shoot on the, on the digital camera i'll set all the settings and then match those settings on the film so i know it will look exactly the same yeah and so i was doing that and then matching onto the film and obviously while i was shooting the lights were going off it was all fine i was like cool it's gonna be fine I got the pictures back and they were literally all like half black and then half like the picture like all of them were half and half and I was like but 
I was like, why did it come out like that? Um, but, you know, I mean, the client actually ended up using quite a lot of those pictures. Just oh, really? It's annoying because, like, what you could see of the picture looks so good. Oh, how frustrating. Which was so frustrating. But it kind of looked kind of stylized as well. And I kind of baited myself up by saying that it wasn't. But because <laughs> there was one look that she had that was, um, it was like a, like a matching pantsuit. And it was half black, half white. And then it sort of matched the light as well. Oh, interesting. So they actually ended up using some of them because luckily I did some outside as well that came out fine, obviously. But um, but then there were some digital ones that I, I put in as well. So it is always good to have a backup um, for that reason. Does this kind of stuff, do you find that makes you quite anxious or are you quite relaxed with all the tech stuff in terms of things going wrong? Oh, no, no, no. Like, I definitely nearly cried. <laughs> like, I was, I was on a shoot. I was on another shoot. And um, I got the Wii transfer from the lab. And I downloaded it um, just to my phone just to preview it. And I saw the pictures and I was like, oh my God. But, you know, I basically had to go back to the label. Because the thing in those situations is you need to just, you need to troubleshoot, essentially. You know, you need to problem solve and think of solutions to that issue. So what I basically said in that situation was, look, a lot of the pictures didn't come out. But all the outside ones are nice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And there's some digital ones as well. So it's completely up to you whether you think there's enough to go off. Or I'm happy to reshoot a couple looks. You know, I even spoke to the stylist. She doesn't mind putting a couple of the looks back again. And they were like, oh, okay, um, you know, what a shame. But, you know, we might have to reshoot. And then they were like, actually, no, like, the the artist really loves these. And there's enough to go from. And, like, they, oh, and they picked quite a lot of the half and half ones. And I was like, okay, well, that's fine. I was completely happy to reshoot, you know, because obviously that was my fault that yeah. I didn't know that about the camera. But, um at least I had those backups. You know, film doesn't have to be scary. Yeah. As long as you have backups and as long as, you know, you take multiples of whatever it is that you're shooting. My dad used to be a photographer and he retired like 10 years ago. Yeah. And he shot on film throughout his career. Mm-hmm. And he still has nightmares now mm. about like doing a whole shoot mm. and then the film just like disappearing or whatever like oh it's still really? affecting him now so yeah. that's why i wanted to ask about that because i think so- it can really like get in your head it's like an exam or something what did you pick as your tomorrow song um, so I picked this tune by this artist, um, I want to say it right, but Callisway, Callisway, um, a song called Cherry, um, which I came across this, I think this was on like my like Apple Music, like new music for you playlist, um, where it just like curates yeah. stuff that you might like. Um, and this was on there and I was like, yo, this is, this is, this is actually a tune, like the production is sick, her vocals are sick. Um, and I feel like she definitely could blow at some point. I feel like she's she's very, very sick. So that's why I wanted to... You're saying it now. You put it I'm saying there. it now. <laughs> you called it. High music, A&R. <laughs> no, but, um, but I can see I can see a bright future. <laughs> yeah, I was listening to this song when you sent it over. It's yeah. really cool. It's really, I like really cool. It. It's, 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 it's very different to like your usual sort of like R&B kind of sounding song. So, yeah, it's cool. It kind of gives me kind of like a slight like... Ari Lennox vibe. Interesting. Um, but obviously still very different in her own way, so... Watch yeah. this space. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your kind of, like, attitude towards the future? Is the future something that scares you or are you mostly excited about what's to come? Um, I feel like I've got sort of two different sort of approaches to the future. I feel like everyone's... Or, like, everyone used to always tell me, like, you need to plan 10 years ahead, you need to do all this stuff. 
And then, and then I've recently I've been reading all these books on like minimalism and like decluttering and just like freeing your mind and like living in the now. Yeah. Um, and there's something very comforting about not worrying about the past or not worrying about the future and living in the now. Some people might think that living in the now is irresponsible. Um, you know, I think it's good to sort of have a slight idea of where you want to go in the future or have like a sort of business plan or whatever, which is, you know, all good. But I think also it's important to not stress about that and not, you know, worry because that just causes anxiety, um, which no one needs. Um, and I think that's also something that I've been sort of stressing over sort of towards the end of lockdown. And, you know, I think I was just, in fact, to be fair, also kind of during lockdown, you know, sort of like, where's my career going and what am I going to do? Um, you know, where am I going as an artist? You know, how I want to develop as an artist and sort of just not necessarily being in the place that I want to be. Um, I think it can really take a toll on your mental and it really doesn't have to. Um, so in terms of the future, I mean, who knows? Like, there's definitely things that I can see myself doing that I want to do. But at the same time, I also, again, don't want to put pressure on myself or, you know, do certain things. Because, um, you know, I think people are like... A friend of mine also used to say that, you know, he'd always set unattainable targets for himself. Because if he sets attainable targets, then he'll do them and then he's not satisfied. And he used to set unattainable targets so that he's always striving for more. And yeah. I'm like, that is not a way to live. No, because then you stressful. always feel like a failure as well. You always well. feel like a failure. You always feel inadequate. You can't, you know, achieve anything. I was watching the home edit on Netflix which I love and hate <laughs> at the same time. Is that that organisation? Yeah, thing? yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, I love, like, organising and doing, like, little things like that. And I actually, I read uh, Clear and Joanna's, like, book, like, the home edit book. And it was saying in the book, this was, like, kind of targeted, not the whole book, but this particular section was targeted more for, um, you know, young mums trying to tidy the house and everything as well as doing everything else. And they were saying that you need to sort of set mini mini goals and mini achievements for yourself like you got up today like you washed your hair today like well done like, all these yeah. little things that you know stripping it back stripping it back but you know su such like little steps that you know if you complete them you'll feel good about yourself you know what i mean because i think that is more important than setting unattainable tasks and then you know just getting anxiety that you can't achieve them yeah i think especially when you get into a bad headspace that's like mm -hmm. exactly the right thing to do mm -hmm. like just rewarding yourself if you manage to like get dressed even yeah i think that's definitely the way to do it and and as you were saying about the future like living in the now mm -hmm. obviously if this year has taught us anything it's that we have no idea mm -hmm. what is coming yeah, okay. <laughs> do you have like a dream all-time shoot to work on I feel like this changes all the time. <laughs> um, I would love to shoot Solange just because she's beautiful. Also, Rihanna just because like she's a fucking queen. Yeah. Um, I think that to be fair, it would be mostly artists like that. I just love that I haven't shot yet. Yeah. Like I would love to shoot Childish Gambino. Um, sorry, Donald Glover. I don't know if he's still going by Childish Gambino. <laughs> um, but there's just there's literally so many people. But I feel, I feel like Solange is probably top of the list, just because like her whole being is just so majestic she's amazing, and beautiful. Yeah. And she's she's just great. And I feel like everything she does is great. So I feel like doing a shoot with her, I just know it'll be fire. So <laughs> I was going to ask as well because I know like photography is quite male dominated, mm -hmm. notoriously. Like, mm -hmm. have you found that in your experience? I think it depends. Um, when I'm physically on set, there is usually quite a lot of women. 
um, whether it's, you know, from like the label point of view or the brand or the agency or just generally the sort of like behind the scenes, there's usually quite a lot of women. So there's been so many shoots where it's been like an all women team and it's been, clear, yeah. you know, um, in terms of like photographers, I feel like there's definitely more women and girls getting into photography now, which is great. I think it definitely in the past was a very, very male dominated industry. Yeah. I think to an extent it still is now because I feel like the top photographers that are doing the big fashion campaigns, shooting for the top magazines yeah. are still mostly white men. Yeah. Um, I think that is slowly changing. You know, I think um, a lot of, you know, a lot more photographers of colour, a lot more female photographers are now finally sort of getting yeah. commissioned um, for, you know, for the bigger jobs. But I think women are still getting overlooked. Yeah. How do we make the industry more diverse? It's always like, I think, especially with, you know, people that, you know, brands and stuff that are trying to make themselves more inclusive, more diverse, you know, it's, it usually ends up just being tokenism. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Whether it's like, let's let's put this black person in here, let's put this woman in here. Yeah, do you know what yeah, I mean? it's, it's, like one it, woman on a panel it, kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? It just like ticks boxes for them. So I think society needs to change 100%. in order for that to be authentic. Yeah. You know? But then at the same time, it's like a vicious cycle because it's like, how will society change if the media that we're consuming and that we're seeing does not re- represent yeah. everyone? Exactly. Do you know what I mean? So sometimes the tokenism and the tick boxing can, you know, mm. work. Yeah, it's not ideal, but it's a starting point, you know, because then hopefully that will then help change people's attitudes to then be able to include people more authentically. And I think somebody actually made an interesting point on Twitter the other day saying that all this sort of talk of like inclusivity and like diversity is still sort of steep, steeped in colonialism because it's always like we need to include someone other than white. Like white is still the default. Yeah. You know, we need diversity from whiteness. We yeah. need to include people that are not white you know what i mean so i think until 100 until those words don't need to be used anymore exactly you know, i think we've still got a lot of work to do what would you say to someone who you have their dream job and they're desperate to break into the industry mm-hmm. not sure how to do so what would you say to them i feel like there's, there's so many things you can touch on so firstly i would say dm me i'm always happy to answer <laughs> questions <laughs> be it technical or other um i think the, the first thing, and I, and I say this to everyone, the first thing, the most important thing is you need to be passionate. You need to actually have an interest in what it is that you want to photograph. And even if it's not photography, whatever venture you want to go down, you need to be passionate about it. Otherwise, it, yeah. people can see in your work that your heart's not in it. You're going to lose interest very quickly and it's just not going to be fun for you. Um, and I think also it's important to not go into photography with the intention of making money. Yeah. You know, obviously that is the goal and that is the dream, but you're not going to become a good photographer that way, you know, and people need to see that. So whether it's like passion projects or just shooting stuff for yourself, you know, a lot of the time when when commercial clients are looking for photographers, they don't look at your commercial work, they look at your personal work. And that's what they judge you off of most of the time. So they want to see that you've actually gone out there and Mm -hmm. like love doing it yourself. Yeah. So we ask everyone if you could change something about tomorrow whether that be within yourself, mm-hmm. your industry, mm. <laughs> what would you change? Oh, so much. Um, <laughs> I think, and we've touched on a lot of these things already, but I think, I think that, I think the whole world just needs a refresh, throw it all in the bin, just start again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think, especially this country and America, we're not even going to talk about America, but um, I think this country, you know, our government in terms of its ideologies, 
it's just so backwards yeah. and it's almost like how can you even think this way when you've got someone like Priti Patel yeah. who is you know a child of immigrants you know a child of asylum seekers you know and the way she talks about refugees is just disgusting do you know what I mean you, I you've got so many people that almost just do not cherish human life that doesn't look like them obviously in Priti's in, in Priti's case they do look like her which is even more mad mm. but um I think, you know, it's like, obviously, we know about this little bubble of the top 1%, yeah. you know, that, you know, they only c- care about themselves and those immediately around them. Um, and I think it is really sad. Um, I saw two news stories yesterday came mm-hmm. out on the same day. One was um, billionaires have got, like, 25% richer. I saw this. It was, it was like, two headlines. Yeah, yeah. and then um, and the poverty is at its worst since, yeah. like, the 1980s or mm-hmm. something. Yeah, it's crazy. I think this whole country's sort of ideologies and mindset just need to be flipped one thing that i find comforting with all of this is that um from what i've seen Mm. from the younger generation Mm -hmm. and the kids growing up now Mm -hmm. hopefully within time things Mm -hmm. are gonna really be overthrown and change like this year has been awful Mm -hmm. and refreshing simultaneously Mm -hmm. to see Mm -hmm. you know the revolt that's happened so i just hope that we can trust in our generation i mean we can only hope and if the younger generations will even live to see 50 because <laughs> the world is dying. <laughs> That's another thing. <laughs> Have you seen David Attenborough's documentary? I haven't watched it's, it yet. I've oh, not been in the right state yet. So <laughs> I'm like, I need to be like, okay before I watch this because yeah. it's going to not make... He cries. You made David Attenborough cry. But do you know what? The, the thing that I think people need to get into their heads as well, and this is something that I've not heard people mention before, that, but that Sir David Attenborough said this... Um, is that we need to basically, obviously, change our lifestyles, you know, whether it's, like, switch to renewable energy sources or, you know... And he doesn't say, you know, everyone has to be vegan, but, it's you know, if we reduce our meat consumption, you know, then it will affect the world hugely in a positive way. Um, But what he's saying is that, you know, this isn't about saving the planet. You know, the planet will regenerate and heal herself. You know, she always has done. This is about saving ourselves. You know, because humanity will actually die out at the rate that we're going, you know. So if we want our kids, our grandkids to, you know... Live. Live, then that's another thing. That's that's a, an issue that's bigger than all of us. Yeah. You know. We need to wake up and smell the coffee. Mm-hmm. Literally. Well, thank you so much, Vicky. Thank Where you. can people find you? They can find me on most socials. Uh, Instagram and Twitter, I'm just at Vicky Grout. Um... That's that's pretty much the only things I'm on really, I think. But yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. It's been lovely. Thank you so much to Vicky for sharing such great insight into what it's actually like to be a photographer. She's an incredible example of someone who actually got where they were through genuine love and passion for what she does. Definitely go and check out her pictures on Instagram because they're amazing. Next week, I'm speaking to Ashita Cabra-Davies, the founder of Rotation, which is the first UK peer-to-peer fashion rental app. We talk all about why the fashion industry needs to change for the sake of the world, so if you want to know more about what you can do to make your relationship with clothes more sustainable, then definitely listen up to next week's episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please do spread the word and subscribe to Change the Record podcast with me, Megan Gray. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Vocal Girls Club and at Tomorrow Mag. Thanks so much for listening and I'll see you soon.